training yourself with all these negative thoughts. You're, you're giving voice to your fears and your fears are becoming your master. So step one is, and, and you're right, this is threaded throughout the book. Step one is really to become aware of the fears that we have and, and not be afraid of the fears, but just speak them, voice them, become aware of them, look at them dead in the eye. Hey there, guys. So fear is something that we all deal with every single day, especially in a world that is dominated by COVID-19, a possible recession, and pick a villain in your own story. But fear can be a set of manacles holding you prisoner or a slingshot catapulting you onto greatness. Now, I want you to go through to doorway number two for obvious reasons. So the key is to master fear, not conquer it, not to fight fear or try to beat it back but to embrace and harness its power because it does really have a lot of power if you're able to harness it and use it to catapult you forward rather than imprison your dreams. In the process, rather than being your adversary then, your fear can become a secret weapon that allows you to triumph even in the most adverse situations. Our guest today is the New York Times bestselling author David Mann. He is the co-author of a book entitled Mastering Fear. A Navy SEALs guide and it covers the stories and life-threatening missions of Brandon Webb, a former Navy SEAL over a period of 10 years. He circumnavigated a series of terrifying situations and natural impulses to panic when the SHIT hit the fan. So without further ado guys, let's get on with the show. Hello ladies and gentle fiends and welcome back to yet another installment of the map round show today i'm joined all the way from the united states john david mann thank you for being here today it's my pleasure so uh, we're going to talk about uh, this here book uh, this is your book mastering fear a navy seals guide um raving reviews loads of uh, five star reviews and i um, as a topic fear i think is something that um you know, given what's going on in the world today, it's, it's just seemingly, you know, it's nuts out there. I think uh, I'm really excited to, to explore, uh, you know, the subject with you and kind of get your view on record. So um, just some fundamentals about broadcasting this live. So uh, if you are watching us, please do interact. If you go, there's a team managing the, the comments uh, from around the interwebs. So feel free to, to talk to us. Um, so, John, why don't you uh, kick us off? Um, give us the headline story. Who are you? What are you about? What do we need to know? Um, I, I've taken many turns in my plot, tw- plot twists in my in my path so far. I started out in life as a classical musician. And to make the story very short, I transitioned through a different, different careers in health and nutrition, in business and retail, in sales. I ended up becoming a writer. And that's what I do. That's how I identify these days. I'm a writer of books. And mostly, I co-write. I, I team up with people who have fascinating stories, who have interesting expertise areas, or who jive with, with me, who click with my own entrepreneurial background. And we write books together. So I wrote a lot of business books, books about leadership, about entrepreneurialism, about uh, personal development, self-development, and, and sort of that broad area. And one day my agent called me up and said, I got this book that I'm sure you're not going to want to be part of. It's not your thing, but I just thought I should tell you about it. And she had this Navy SEAL sniper in her office. This is just when the Captain Phillips thing had happened. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. And everybody remembers this story, right? So yeah, yeah. three Navy SEAL 
snipers, boom, 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 coordinated shots, take out these three pirates. And everybody suddenly wants to know how, how do Navy SEALs do what they do? And my guy, this guy was some, was uh, the guy, one of the two guys who redesigned the Navy SEAL sniper course after 2001 and who was the Navy SEAL sniper and also head instructor of snipers. So he was the guy. Okay. And uh, she said he has a memoir he wants to tell, but he needs a really good writer. And I read like Matt, he'd written a handful of paragraphs sort of as a, as a, as a pitch for his mm -hmm. memoir. I read it and it grabbed me by the neck and I said, Oh my God, I've got to do this. So I did. We did a memoir together. It was a New York times bestseller. It, it, it started a lifelong friendship and partnership. And we've written seven books together so far. And this is one of them. Amazing. 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 Um, why fear though? I mean, if you think about, uh, the, Seals being, yeah. you know, such a an incredible, if incredibly, it's actually a brand, you know, um, that's yes. got an incredible legacy. I've had a, a few seals on the show um, that I mentioned uh, to you before we went live, um, and just such an incredible. There's so many things to talk about: leadership. You know, how do you, uh, you know, execute efficiently under pressure? Strategy, team leadership. Yeah. Uh, all this kind of stuff, and uh, I I wanted to kind of really just unpack why why was fear the thread that you guys double downed on? Yeah, that's a fantastic question because just just that question, and and I guess in a sense, just the title of the book in a way uh, uh, sort of prompts or or it it uh, it evokes a cognitive dissonance, right? Mm. Navy SEALs Guide to Fear. Wait a second, these guys are fearless. So how does that work? And I, I, what I love about that is that right at the get-go, it dispels a certain mythology. It's kind of like the idea that leaders, say leaders in business or leaders in politics or leaders in anything, that leaders should know everything. That for a leader to admit he doesn't know the answer to something or she doesn't know the answer to something is, is you know, a sign of weakness and poor leadership. Ridiculous, right? Wise leaders, smart leaders, uh, uh, effective leaders – acknowledge areas of ignorance immediately and they go after it. They find ways to, to, you know, hire the talent they need, tap the knowledge they need, find the wisdom that, 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 that situation demands and track it down and implement it. Same deal with Sears, uh, with seals. Uh, you know, back in the day, what, 2009, around there, I think Disney wanted to try to trademark Navy seals. Remember this? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, Disney, it's not going to work. <laughs> it was pretty funny that they actually tried to trade Mark the term, and, and it's it's uh, it is a brand, as you say, and the brand has historically been this idea: the Superman. These guys can do anything physically; they can take any punishment. We've all seen the videos of guys trudging down the beach carrying a gigantic log on their shoulders in the training. They can take any amount of pain. They have no fear. They can rush into battle, and they cannot be killed. Well, obviously, they can be killed, but it's a myth, it's a mythology. And it's, it's a destructive mythology. Fear is not the enemy. Seals don't lack fear. Seals feel fear just like anybody else does. But their training, and I think probably their temperament, because only a certain kind of person goes out for that line of work. But by temperament and by training, they learn how to ride their fear like a horse. They learn how to, to harness it master it, use it as an ally. And that's that's probably the number one theme through the book is to learn how not to fight your fears and not resist them and certainly not deny them, which is another way of resisting them, 
but look them square in the eye, harness them, use them as an ally, as a friend. It's a weird concept, but it's the only effective way to deal with fear. Yeah, it's one of the things I think fear either defines you as a person or it propels you forward. Um, and I think, you know, for many of us, uh, our fears, it's, uh, th- I put a, a cool tweet out now, it's kind of lost, <laughs> I've lost the exact word, but it was like, you never rise to the level of your goal or fall to the level of your systems, and your systems are oftentimes driven by fear. So if you think about, um, you know, the world that we have today, it's, it's kind of like, and if you look, I read New York Times, fear, BBC, fear, you know, Facebook timeline, fear. Um, and so, you know, especially now in the US, I mean, you'll know this, right, about all the, the explosion of teen um, uh, tests, right, and, uh, and the numbers now that yep. are coming out uh, from the U.S., and it's like you're going into the 4th of July, which is Independence Day. It's probably the worst possible news you can have, right, as, as, as Americans. Um, and so it's, it's like it's a machine, this fear. It never really goes away. Uh, you've got misinformation on Facebook. We've got major brands, Coke, Unilever, North Face, pulling their advertising out of Facebook, you know, as a, a kind of like, you know, putting their hands up and saying, we won't stand for for this misinformation platform that you guys are peddling or at least not controlling. Um, and yeah. so everywhere you look, like if you've got an internet connection, it's like you're going to be exposed to a, a paradigm of fear. And if you're not very self-aware about its impact on you, because I think sometimes, you know, you read yes. things, you see things, but it, it affects you subconsciously. And so you start making decisions that aren't potentially or potentially not in your higher self's best interests. So then they start to define you. In other words, as a business owner, instead of flipping, you will actually contract. You'll stop spending marketing dollars instead of spending marketing dollars, which is what you should be doing now, right? And so, and it all starts with what you're exposed to. So I'd like to your views here. I mean, to what extent should we be fearful of this kind of, you know, world that we're living in right now um, and how do we become self-aware because that's basically what seals really do and what you kind of alluded yes. to right they become self-aware they recognize that this is how i'm feeling but i'm going to act anyway because my training has taught me how to do that right so so what are your views on yes. on those two things yeah it's um in terms of your about spending marketing dollars, um, you know, are we not reminded of Warren Buffett's famous dictum, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful? I mean, typically when the herd is acting out of fear, it's generally time for the wise entrepreneur to go the other direction. Um, and that's certainly true now. It's certainly true just about any time. But so when we were working in the book, um, we discovered that the what was for me the single most important uh, uh, discovery or factor in my own development as an entrepreneur, you know, years, years back, back in the 80s, actually, turns out to be exactly the same as Brandon's number one factor in training in his revamping of the SEAL sniper training. Um, and so I'll digress a little bit on the sniper training because it's really relevant to your question. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this. Um, he and a friend of his, Eric Davis, were, were brought in to modernize, to bring the SEAL sniper program into the 21st century, shortly after 9-11. It was actually a few years later, 2003. So they went in and they, they were revamping the course. 
They brought in uh, all kinds of scientific advances. They went from pencil sketches to software. They, they had a course on how to upload digital photography and do satellite satellite uplinks in the field and all sorts of uh, courses on ballistics and all kinds of technical, scientific, uh, uh, and skill-based courses. But Brandon says the number one change they made, oh, interesting, they also put in place a mentor program where uh, the instructors basically got credit when their students did well and they were paired one-on-one with students. So suddenly every student had an instructor or mentor, which had never been done before. And that radically changed the dynamics. They brought the, the sort of the mentorship apprenticeship dynamic into, into SEAL training, SEAL sniper training. But all that's secondary. The number one change they made to the course uh, was he implemented a program of mental training, of, of mental management. And what it was, was he trained his snipers how to become aware of their self-talk, how to become aware of what they were thinking. And that sounds either like duh or kind of, you know, esoteric, but it's ridiculous practical because the huge majority of people literally don't know what they're thinking. They have thoughts running constantly in their minds, but are not aware of those thoughts. The same way that a fish is not aware of water and a bird is not aware of the air. They're just in it. And people swim and fly in their thoughts and are driven by their thoughts and they're directed by their thoughts. And this applies to fears. People have fears circulating constantly in the back of their head, like water in a cooling system, only it's a heating system. It's heating up their, act- their actions and their reactions, and they're not aware of them. Uh, back in the 80s, I was mentioning one of the uh, critical changes in my life was I encountered this idea of self-talk, and I began to I train myself. I was working at home so I could do this, train myself to speak all my thoughts out loud. I'd be sitting at my desk saying, I I am feeling, you know, like I, this is, I have no idea what I'm writing about. This article is hopeless. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I feel like an idiot. I have to go to the bathroom. I, I would just say what was in my mind. And it sounded like an insane person you know, mumbling down the street. But most of us don't know what we think. Mm. And so, for example, uh, uh, the way that Navy SEAL sniper instructors would frequently train their guys, their own course they've got to target out at 500 yards or whatever it is and they're like trained now don't miss don't miss this is like coaching your your little kid up at bat and saying now when the ball comes don't strike out or like going out to ask this girl for the first date and saying whatever you do don't say something stupid what are you going to do you're going to say something stupid strike out of at the home base and you're going to miss the target because you're training yourself with all these negative thoughts. You're, you're giving voice to your fears and your fears are becoming your master. So step one is, and, and you're right, this is threaded throughout the book. Step one is really to become aware of the fears that we have and, and not be afraid of the fears, but just speak them, voice them, become aware of them, look at them dead in the eye. Uh, and that they went from a I forget the numbers, but it's something like a 40% failure rate to a 2% failure rate in the sniper course. And they started having people shooting perfect scores that they'd never had in in the history of sniper training. Maybe the sniper course began in the early 90s. They'd never had perfect scores. And now they had them. The only thing they changed was that that mental management 
Mm. Do you feel like you can ever really get in control of that though? And if one can get in control of one's kind of, you know, emotions, like, like fear an example, because remember the thing is yes. we're having a conversation now and, you know, I'm relatively relaxed, right? but the mo- let's just say I'm this bullets firing, you know, flying. I can't pay my staff. Like the pressure kind of gets you, yeah. it amplifies things, it accelerates things. So can one get in control of one's emotions? And if one can, what have, what have you learned from the SEALs about, you know, controlling one's emotions under pressure? Yeah. Uh, and I think that ultimately, no, you can't control those emotions, but you can, it's like riding a horse. You can't entirely control a horse. It's, it's a separate entity. It has its own mind, but you can partner with it. You know, a, uh, and a wise equestrian will know that they partner with their horse. They don't uh, subjugate or dominate the horse. And your, your emotions are like that. Uh, your fear is not something to dominate, subjugate, or try to control. It's something to ride. It's something to partner with. It's something to work with. Um, and something we've learned from from SEAL training is there are steps. There are concrete steps in this process. Um, the way the book starts out, and it was it was what inspired the book, was a good friend of Brandon's, Kamal Ravikant, who's an entrepreneur and uh, yeah. an old tech guy from Silicon Valley. And he wrote the book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Um, and Kamal, uh, Brandon learned, didn't know how to swim. And it was it was not a life-threatening issue, but it was very socially embarrassing for him and awkward. And it, and it made him feel terrible. And he'd tried all his life to learn how to swim. And he'd had top instructors try to teach him. And nothing had worked. Nothing had taken. The guy couldn't swim. He was terrified of the water. So Brandon said, I'll teach you. And so he did. And the basic approach to you, he did it in, in less than a week. He had the guy from on the edge of the pool, terrified, to doing cannonballs into the pool. There are steps that he took him through, and they're the steps that we try to harness in his book to give you as a formula. You know, and one of those steps is a really critical one for Navy SEALs, which we call rehearsal. And rehearsal applies, you know, one of the most common uh, public fears is public speaking. People are terrified to get up on a stage and speak. I've done a lot of that in my life. And I learned, and I learned it very, very early on. Well, the first time I gave a speech, I had that I had that speech written out word for word, and I had poured over it, and I had researched it, and I had footnotes, and I just knew this thing forwards and backwards, up and down, so that by the time I got up, I had given the speech in my head probably a thousand times. I really knew the material. Knowing your material, rehearsal, mental rehearsal physical rehearsal and technical rehearsal you know that's critical now as a business person you can't rehearse everything because conditions will you know throw unexpected curveballs at you um so then what you do is you run contingencies uh, brandon is also a, uh, an avid pilot every pilot knows how to run contingencies so you're constantly this is a, any business plan is going to have several alternatives because you've got to run contingencies the rehearsal and contingency the all the preparation is crucial so that when you're in the breach, when you're on the field, when, the, as you say, the bullets are flying, you have all this backlog of self-training that just swings into action. Mm. As long as you can harness your fear, look at it, and then let the training happen, you trust your training. Yeah, You may not trust the world, but you trust your training. That's a great point. Um, I wanted to get into... Um, this idea of the narrative, right? So 
the book, I believe you write about mastering theory is not about becoming physically stronger or tougher or more macho. It's all aggressive or more stoic, more pumped up. It's learning how to identify and change the conversation in the head in more specific. Yes. Um, yeah. That's actually easy, far easier said than done. So how do we do that? How do we change that narrative? Like to the example that you gave, right? So, or in fact, let me give you an analogy and then you can steer it. Take the, take it really. Analogy like an entrepreneur is like jumping out of an airplane with a silkworm and a whole bunch of belief and hoping to land safely. Um, and many people, they, they don't want to take the jump, right? Because the narrative in their head is them from taking that jump. So how do we take the jump? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, I mean, I think first off, I want to acknowledge that the entrepreneurial life is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably for everyone on this podcast, but it's, it's not for everybody on the planet. Um, you know, my definition of a of an of a entrepreneur is a person who is in business who is self determining. You know, an entrepreneur creates circumstance, doesn't work within circumstance, and that, that's a mindset that not everybody is prepared to embrace. You know, there are a lot of people who honestly would be happier to be employees in a company that they love. Mm-hmm. Great. There are also a lot of people who are never going to go in the battlefield, not go into the military, not be a SEAL. So we'll acknowledge that everyone kind of has their own slot that they're going to fit most comfortably in. But within that slot, within that area, it's they still face the same situations, face the same fears, face the same issue, as you say. They'll have their version of jumping out of a helicopter um, with, you know, with, with a hope and a prayer and maybe a parachute. So, uh, you know, again, part of that is training. Uh, uh, the training and technology, you, we can spend a whole hour just in that because it applies in any domain, any sphere, any endeavor. For SEALs, you know, it's whether it's working with the, the, the riflery, whether it's working with the, the physical calisthenics, whatever it is, um, as a writer, uh, I just wrote a novel. First, something I've been terrified to do for years and years and years. Mm. Even though I'd written 30 books, published, some of them had done well, I was still, when I would sit down to think about the idea of novel, it, it would be like jumping out of a helicopter for me. Um, I, I don't know how to do that. What if I, it's going to, I'm going to, like, do, I don't have anything to say. It's going to be dull as dishwater. It's going to be cliched. It's going to be hackneyed i'm going to spend a year or two writing it nobody will buy it or publish it and i will have wasted two years all oh, this this 
this stuff still circulates in my head. I'm aware of it, but it's still there. When I sit down to write in the morning, I hear myself saying, John, you imposter, you have no idea what this chapter is about. You don't know how to start it. You sure don't know how to finish it. And also you don't know any of the stuff in between. And, and I, I mean it when I say it. I have to learn how to hear it, harness it and say, and I, and I switch it. And this goes back to your question of narrative. So maybe I'm going to get to answer your question. When, what uh, Brandon and I both talk about is you have to flip your narrative. Take it and you can't abolish it, but take it and massage it, flip it, turn it, make it productive, make it positive, make it useful. So for me, for example, I start out saying, John, you have no, I'll sit here and hear myself say, I have no idea what happens in this chapter, in this book. I, I just, I'm, I'm out of my depth. I will hear that and I will flip it to say, there is an incredible chapter here. I don't know how it starts, but I can't wait to find out or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I will do that, man. I'll do that with myself still every day. And that's how I get words onto the page without erasing them as I write. I think it's the same thing when you're about to jump out of a helicopter. It's like, what, what is, what's the lead of your narrative? What's the thrust? What's the headline? Um, speaking of military, by the way, this is why it's so important that a country that sends its men and women into combat have a really crystal clear narrative about their battle plan, about their uh, their international goal or whatever the, you know, the, the phrase is. Uh, one thing that Brandon saw, he went into Afghanistan right after 9-11. His platoon was one of the first boots on the ground in, in Kabul and, and up in that area um, going into the mountains over toward the border of Pakistan routing out the terrorist camps. And, and um, he said for him and for all of his buddies at that point, their narrative was crystal clear. We knew exactly what we were doing. 9-11 had just happened. The whole world was on our side. These guys were here. It was just so crystal clear. By 2006, 2007, when he got out, he got out in 2006, I believe, he said, we'd lost the story. People would be, we'd have you know, thousands of combat troops in the field, and they honestly wouldn't really know what the story was, or there'd be a thousand different stories. They lost the narrative. Uh, I think it's our biggest foreign policy issue right now in the the states we don't have a clear narrative uh it's the same deal as an individual what's your narrative as you're about to jump hi there guys so a quick one just to say we have launched a studio line you can now interact live with our guests either online and or using your mobile phone the number for the studio line is plus two seven seven nine nine double four eight six three four the number again is zero seven nine nine double four eight six three four. Add that to your phone guys now and we'll be happy to take your questions live on the Map Round show. Yeah, exactly. I think also if you think about the idea of a great story, right? Uh, Adam on Facebook says he could listen to you for hours. Um, where do we find him? Where do we find you? And then I'll get into the... Uh. If, if Adam, if you put a microphone in my office and 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 bugged me and listened to me for hours in the morning, you might go stark crazy. I don't know because um, I'll talk to myself. Um, so all my books, first off, are on my website, which is just my name, JohnDavidMan.com. Two ends, JohnDavidMan, M-A-N-N.com. Uh, all my books are there. There are memoirs, military leadership, business, and so forth. There's 
parables, um, the go-giver and latte factor and other parables, and then, you know, a bunch of, of miscellaneous. The novel won't be there for another year. It's coming. Um, what's not on my website yet, but I'm going to get that on there by this fall, is um, links to a handful of podcasts that I've done where we talk about the process of writing or the process of living or you know whatever so more to come on that site but that's where all my stuff is is on my site cool so adam actually wants to you so let me um try and phone him here quickly get him on the show oh this is exciting adam what's up hello hello you're on the map around show how are you Oh, I'm good, thanks. I thought I was going to do a video. Okay, cool. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, no, not too much, man. So you're a business owner. Um, do you want to just uh, give yeah. John a little bit about what you do? What's the head? And let's take a common question cool. about fear. What are you dealing with at the moment? So, you know, fear is like a thing, right? Um, for everyone. But, uh, yeah, as a business owner, for me, Lately, done well COVID, if I think about it, um, because now everyone's going to So it's been my wish to to make things a lot quicker. Um, Fear-wise is that don't actually take action, and we all want to go normal. So mentally, I just kind of wonder, where does he think people will land once we're over all this stuff? Uh, did you get, yeah, it, it, it kind of. Don, did you get that? I got some. I got some of it. Most of it. Maybe you can uh, give me a quick summary too, just make sure I'm on the right track. Do you want, Adam, do you want to rephrase? So, is it kind of like fear? Fear stops us from taking things that we want to take. That's the one. Oh, so, so we were in COVID, um, and now actually, okay. like once it starts ending, we all fear ourselves. So, uh, um, yeah. What what advice? Do you have as far as uh, social media giving everyone too much advice? But what's the real advice that got you through uh, times of a tough um, that 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 weren't as easy as landing on COVID? Yeah, in exactly. So that's actually a great question or comment, uh, Adam, because kind of what I was going to say around the narrative. So in every narrative in our heads, there's a villain, right? And today yeah. the villain yes. is. is is COVID-19, but to your point, you know, that's not going to be the case in three years' time, I would hope. Uh, it will be you. <laughs> and so actually, the, the, the one villain that's always true is you. So, John, yeah. the, the, the question uh, is, is around how do we manage our own inner villain? Mm. Oh, and, and yeah, <laughs> that's lovely, our <laughs> own inner villain. Um, there. I, I think one of the, of course, I think in, in the in the world of COVID, the days of COVID, um, the the seems to me that the biggest fear is the is sort of a version of the unknown, um, because it's we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know how many people it's going to claim. We don't know whether it's going to come to our front door or not. Um, in 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 many spheres, there's utter disclarity, lack of clarity about what the, what the correct steps are to take. I, here in the States, that's just a crazy controversy right now. Mm -hmm. um, but person to person, it's like, we don't know. In terms of, as you were saying, Matt, do I spend more money on, on marketing? Is anybody going to buy the product? It depends on, on what your market is. Uh, I write books for a living. 
are people going to buy books? Are they going to go to stores? I mean, there's so much unknown compounded by the fact that we don't know the timeline. So I think, you know, there's an element of that villain in, in and behind every fear we've got. You know, fear is almost, almost always clasping hands to some extent with the great unknown, though we don't know what's going to happen, though we don't know what the result's going to be. Um, so I think one of the things that, one of the strategies, uh, let me interrupt myself and say, I know that I've personally been through those, those kinds of, of periods when there was that kind of huge unknown in my own life. Uh, I had a business collapse and go bankrupt once, and I, I honestly had no idea how I was going to go on economically or financially. Um, I've had other collapses and calamities in my life personally where everything that I, I thought I could count on suddenly fell apart and I had to figure out how to kind of reinvent myself or reinvent my situation from scratch. And so I think it's very similar mindset. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> One strategy that I use for that is, first of all, to identify what I know. Identify the known and also to, to separate what's important and what's not. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are my values, if you will? What, what, are yeah. my, what are the actions that I do that are bullseye expressions of my own personal values, such that whether they earn money or not, whether anybody else accepted them or not, whether that got me in trouble or not, I would still want to do that. Uh, it's not the answer, but it is a flashlight into the answer. Mm. Uh, the, yeah. the dilemma is like, it's like a dark room and the lights don't work. All you can <laughs> do is get a flashlight going and find your way around the room, sort of space by space by space. <laughs> I, I'm going to add one more, one more element, one more ingredient to this recipe, which is to have faith that yeah. by doing what you do, yeah. you will get through the room. I should tell that yeah. to my two-year-old. I'm not sure if I'm live or just talking to Matt. No, you're live. Um, oh, cool. Um, so something that you know, I always believe in is a strategy is just plan, really. I think, Matt, you taught me that years ago when we, when we used to work together. Um, mm. And uh, what you just said now is a gut feel and a approach of, appreciation and love for what you do, then will actually um, migrate you from a job into um, an, an entrepreneurship or something you love. It, it sounds so abstract, but actually yes. I've been through the process where you can fall proper flat um, and being flat that you actually build up from there more than you would if you just went for what you know. So, it's really cool to hear what you're yes. saying around around gut moments. Um, and often, COVID's done this for people, but I was COVID two years ago, uh, when you need to drop everything and actually just start again. And that's the best gift ever. Yeah, it is, dude. I totally, totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Thanks, Adam. I'm going to end the call and then uh, cool. carry on yeah, and thanks. keep watching the stream. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I love what Adam said there. At the end. You know, it's kind of like having to read is oftentimes easier than just doing what you know. Um, and because 
it's, it's almost like you get stuck on a particular train, right? Um, and that yeah. train can oftentimes be going nowhere, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. Uh, it's, I think I had to mention your gut feeling. And, you know, we talk in the book about how gut feeling isn't something you're just good at or bad at. It's something that you actually practice like a muscle, develop like a muscle. Um, and I think it's a really crucial thing. But sometimes in these situations, uh, uh, you, as you're saying, you think you know what you know how to do, what you've done before. You think you know, you have a a track you're on and you're stuck on that. And, and the brilliant solution often will, in the dilemma, will often come to you from left field where you didn't expect it, where you don't see it coming. And I'll just give you a personal example of that. During this time I'm describing where I had kind of lost all my, my finances and my economic underpinning and I had to reinvent, I decided to be a writer at one point, and I was going to be a screenwriter. I was going to go to Hollywood. That was my deal. I, for two years, I studied screenplays like crazy. I read a million screenplays. I watched a million movies. I went out to Hollywood. I took some courses with some of the, the, some of the greats. That was my plan, man. I was going to be A-list writer. Uh, uh, I, the Oscars already had my name on them. And um, this friend of mine, Bob Berg, called me up and said he wanted me to help him write this book. And it was an annoyance. It was an interference. It was like, I, yeah, I don't have time to write a book, man. I'm going to be a screenwriter. So I, I never written a book. I didn't know how to write a book. And uh, uh, so he told me the idea. He said, it was like, you know, you know what, a go, what a go-getter is, right? So this book is called The Go-Giver. It's going to be about this, other, other, you know, sort of this yeah. twist. And I just didn't see it, man. I was like, ah, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, see, the, I don't see the potential here. So I, but because Bob was a dear friend, friend i knew him and i trusted him i said to my my wife said you know, i i gotta give it a look so i went and i i looked he'd written some drafts some ideas some notes he had a couple of chapters he had done like you know 40 pages or, or 50 pages of, of work on it, of content but he said it wasn't coming together and he knew it didn't sound right and he just it was like it was a start he needed me and i started and i took a look at it and uh as I got dabbled my fingers in it, it started to feel right and started to feel good. And I wrote the thing in six weeks and that was over 10 years ago and it sold over almost a million copies. And that was what started my career as, as an author, as a co-author. And it was, it was not only was it not my plan, it was interfering with my plan. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, when you don't resist, the universe has uh, smarter ideas than you have yourself. It's, it's wise to listen. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. One of the things I came across in uh, researching your book is that um, you write about this idea of setting a fear challenge. Uh, can you walk us through what it is exactly and why we should do that? I don't remember using that phrase. So tell, tell me what, what that was, setting up okay. a fear challenge, and then it'll spark my thinking. All right. So basically, it was an Amazon review. So um, yeah, it was an Amazon review. And one of the guys was writing about the idea of setting fear challenges. So it's kind of like, like you said, right? Okay. It's like, how would you exercise your, I don't know, fear resistance muscle, if that was a thing? <laughs> uh, Great. Cool. Know. So like, if you'd like yes. being grateful, you know, so practicing gratitude is a muscle. So you get stronger at being a for the little things as opposed to just the big things that happen, yes. you know, every three months, whatever. So when it comes to fear and accepting fear or surrendering to your fear, 
that as a process is also a psychological muscle that one can exercise and that can get stronger at it because it's like when you're on hell week you're scared right most of the guys are like yeah. they're freaking i mean that's why they ring the match right is because they just don't they cannot see themselves the other side um but right. the guys that right. stick you there can't. yeah the 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 grit that they have is developed because we all have different experiences right so some would get exposed to more than others some have parents some don't david goggins is yeah. an example you know that that guy was just exposed awful things from a very very young age um and mm-hmm. so when i mean he did hell week three times <laughs> so you know it is a it is a mm-hmm. psychological so you know hard so i guess so fear challenges then if you were to exercise your psychological muscle of um becoming fear what practice mm-hmm. can one do in that space no, I think it's great. It, it, it's it, a fear challenge can be something as big as I'm terrified. We talk in the book about uh, a guy who is who went to the air force, became a, a, a para jumper, and, and you know eventually became a, a flying instructor. Only one little detail: um, he was terrified of heights. So, you know, there's a fear challenge. You know, <laughs> learn how to fly when I'm terrified of heights. Um, I mentioned earlier writing a novel that felt to me like climbing a mountain. That was a, a fear challenge. You know kind of a big one because it those are fear challenges that take years to climb. Um, you can have fear challenges as small as, you know, something you do in the course of an hour or of a day um, to have a confrontation, have a conversation that you're afraid to have with your spouse or your boss or your coworker, your friend or whoever, your child or whatever it is. Mm. Um, I remember when, when, when uh, my previous marriage fell apart and we were getting divorced, I, was tasked with the job of telling our two boys and it was that possibly the worst day of my life. And I, I'll, I'll never forget the feeling of being about to go and sit them down and talk to them. And it's like, I was terrified probably more of, of that than anything, you know, ever in my life. Uh, we may have very small conversations where we want to bring something up to, to our spouse or our friend or whatever that, we're afraid to talk about, but we bring it up. Um, regardless of the scope, I, I look at, a, at that, that fear challenge and the fear muscle, if you will, uh, fear overcoming muscle, fear mastering muscle. Just sort of look at it in three steps. There, there's a start, there's a process in the middle, and there's an outcome. I, and I'm, I'm collapsing what's in the book, which is a little bit more expanded. But the start is the decision. You say, I, I'm going to do this. Where you, where you decide, I'm going to start this business, or I'm going to leave my job. I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm going to leave it, or I'm going to leave this relationship, or I'm going to ask him out, or I'm going to learn to fly. Of course, we all know that once you've made a decision like that, if you tell three or four other people, it's harder to back out. Um, but the thing about making a decision is that decision-making is itself a muscle. And I think it's the first muscle in mastering fear. When you decide to do something that you're afraid of, and and it may be that you don't know how you're going to do it. It may be that you don't even know what it looks like, but you decide. That is a muscle that a lot of people have stopped exercising years ago. So the way we talk about in the book is there are people, you know, this feeling where their lives are living them instead of them living their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They just do what comes next. They just do whatever's in the ship. They're just good, good soldiers or good employers or what have you. And their life is living them. So the act of making a clear and firm decision and standing on it is itself a muscle. It's part of the fear mastery muscle. Um, and, and I do think that verbalizing, even if it's just to yourself out loud, Mm-hmm. is very helpful. People talk about writing things down, writing down commitments. Writing down commitments is awesome, but also speaking them is, is even more awesome because it's sound, it's audible, it's physical. The process is all this rehearsal and, and, and you know, learning. For me, uh, 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 research and learning is a gigantic part of tempering fear because you know, I, I took two novel writing courses where I was in the process of writing this novel. Even though I've been published, a published author for 15, 20 years, Learning more, learning, 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 learning is a fantastic way. Navy SEALs are gluttons for learning. They have lifelong curiosity as a personal core value, every one of them to a man. It's how they, it's how they excel. So that researching and rehearsing process is critical. Then you get to a certain point where it's time. You know, it's time to stand up on stage, or it's time to have the conversation, mm. or it's time to write the first chapter, or it's time to have that conversation with your boss or whatever it is. And at that point, you do something that we call jumping off. And you just, what you reach, you reach a point. This is the point where I was standing outside the room where my kids were. I was about to go have that conversation. You reach a point where you say, I've come this far. I have my decision. I've trained as best I can. Here I am. And now there isn't anything else. There's nothing but jumping. Yeah. And this is a point where a lot of people will like back off the diving board and say, mm-hmm. well, I- I'm not ready yet. No, yes, you are. Because, you know, there is no ready. You're never ready. Just knowing that, that you're going to reach a point where you're, you don't feel ready because you never will, but you're as ready as you're going to get and you can't wait. There's nothing to do but jump. Mm-hmm. At that point, you jump. You jump and you have faith that the parachute will open. Yeah. Um, uh, I write and if it doesn't open, we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, maybe not, right? So I write about um, <laughs> this idea of fear setting in my book, uh, Your Inner Game, yeah. which you can get on the site, mapbrownshow.com for free. Um, but, uh, but the idea is that, you, that you, you mentioned writing it down, which sparked the thought, right? Which is, think about yes. the villain. It's oftentimes, if you listen... If all the things you feared about, like of the nineteen of the thousand things that you fear happening, nine hundred ninety nine of them uh, do happen. You say don't don't happen. Like you know, it's don't like, happen. They right. don't. Yeah, like the things that you most fear oftentimes don't happen. And then you wonder why you were fearful about the thing in the first place. It's you know, it's like oh, I did that thing. Okay, so suddenly fear is not such a big deal. So fear setting uh, is a exercise that almost like if you write down exactly what the first consequence is going to be you know so as an example i'm going to do public speaking for the first time i hate public speaking i'm nervous i'm not a good public speaker etc so the night before you write down what the worst possible situation could be get up on stage or talk bombs the people aren't receptive to what you have to say you know you get laughed off stage etc so i know those things don't sound nice but once you write them down uh, and you see it in front of you, it's yes. the monster yes. that it is in your head. 
because it's there and you disassociate from the fear by virtue of writing it down. Um, and so mm-hmm. uh, when you do that, I find that it's, it's separation from the fear in your head that is the thing that make, gives you the capacity to execute. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. It, again, it, it's another way of, of identifying what was lurking in, your, in, your, in the back of your part, the murky part of your brain where you never look. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. back there bothering you, uh, torturing you, actually. But you, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I love that. That's a great strategy. Um, I want to uh, just have a, a kind of a random left field question. This one's from Chris. Uh, he says, um, what have people not agreed with mainly in this book of yours? Because you know the idea of fear, it's like, you know, it's something we all deal with, but then some people's model of the world and their values and their beliefs about what fear is, what it isn't, et cetera, sometimes they read it and they go, this is BS, or I just fundamentally don't agree with it. You know, from, yeah. from all the feedback that you received, obviously being this book being a, a, a kind of a bestseller, what have, what have people come to you with as kind of like the thing that they most disagree with about fear? I think I'm not sure if it's the thing that people must disagree with as much as the thing that surprised them um, or that they, you know, or that they're not sure about. So maybe it is like a point of disagreement or a, a rubbing point. Um, but that, that is, uh, you know, it, is, it, is it good to focus on all this fear? Is it good to focus, um, mm. you know, your, your, your attention on all these things you're afraid of? Is it, is it you know, isn't isn't fear basically an illusory state of mind? Um, isn't, you know how people have this acronym that the word fear means false expectations appearing real, and that is not what fear means, by the way. Um, it, it, I mean, you can make it mean that, and that that's fine. But but um, w- people will say, um, it, aren't you when you dwell on these things you're afraid of? Don't you invite them more into your life? Well, so here's the answer. I mean, here's my answer, which is, yeah, if you dwell, <laughs> if you dwell, which means you habitate, you live, if you dwell on the things you're afraid will happen, then, yeah, it's like saying, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out. Yeah, you'll strike out. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is just like exactly what you said. We're talking about identify. Identify these fears. You know why? Because you're already thinking them. They're in there. Mm-hmm. To say, is it wrong to focus on them? No, it's perfect to focus on them because you have all this murk back here, which when you bring it into focus, it all comes here where you can see it. Now you've got a flashlight and now you can see what you're looking at. You can go, okay, I will make a decision. Now that I've been informed, now that I see what I'm thinking, I see what this water is I'm swimming in, I Hereby make a decision. I make a declaration. I'm going to do that. I may be terrified of that. I may not know how to do that, but I'm going to do that. And by the way, that could simply be I'm going to live, live my life. Mm -hmm. There is a clarity that comes with confronting. I forget if we talk about this in the book, but there there are so many wonderful, well-known quotes that are all versions of um, Crazy Horse, today is a good day to die. Um, you know, people who have looked at death in the face tend to have much more clarity about living life. It's not because they've dismissed death. 
It's because they've seen it. They've seen it. So. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I wanted to, I'm just cognizant of time. Um, uh, I oh, want, yes. Yeah, I wanted to um, just kind of wrap uh, so two things. What has surprised you about your conversation with uh, Brendan, the Navy SEAL, uh, about fear? Like I know we sp- we've covered a lot of ground here, but what is something that you know you come across, across you didn't expect to find? Uh, yeah. What has surprised you most about into the space? I'll say two things. The first thing is that just in my conversations with Brendan, it's been over a decade now. Um, it has so struck me how similar, how, how much we have in common in terms of how we see things, in terms of our, our view of things, reaction to things, experience of things, uh, things that interest us. And our backgrounds could not be more different. I grew up as a classical musician uh, with a college professor father. Brandon, you know, was kicked out of the house at 16 and became a Navy SEAL. I was like, I've never served in the military. Our experience sets could not be more different. And it was when we, the first conversation we had, it was like we had been speaking the same, we were speaking the same language about leadership, about entrepreneurship, about determination, about so many things. So that's been the first thing. It's been really rather delightful uh, uh, to find over the years. I think the second thing about, about SEALs generally is, is this thing I probably mentioned back at the, at the top of the show, how human these guys are. I, I did a book with Brandon called Among Heroes. We traced the story of eight different Navy SEALs that he'd known, all of whom had died in the course of the decade-long war on terror. And so I, I really got to know these eight deceased guys through their – I talked to their siblings and their parents and their kids and their teammates and so forth and you know, did, got a, such a full picture. And they're so human. The things that they, the things that they fear, you know, Brandon – talks about the, the greatest fear in his life. And it was, it was around getting divorced and talking to his kids, the same as, as I described, and, mm-hmm. and about what would happen with his kids and what would happen to his life. Mm-hmm. And it was just his, his biggest fear, that, that moment, far more terrifying than all that crap he saw in combat, you know, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the humanity. It's the humanity that has, has just really struck me. That's such a great answer because it's actually the thing that I did most. I started podcasting five years ago. I mean, yeah. you have such huge imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm very much an introvert. You know, <laughs> meeting strangers, like live broadcasting on the internet would never, I'd just be like, no, <laughs> definitely yes. not doing that. Good uh, for you, yeah. And obviously, you know, it's not even a thing on the timeline. So, but what I have learned is that, you know, when I started interviewing like Shark Tank, you know, uh, Dragon's Den people and the bigger the entrepreneurs mm. got. I, exactly what you said. The more I interviewed people, billionaires on like four continents, and I was like, actually, there's no difference here between this guy and me. There's nothing. Yes. Um, obviously, we're yes. different people, but the capacity to build, the capacity to, you know, to create and manifest things, there is zero difference. We all have it the same. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, as you said, it's, it's inspiring. Our, it's uh, yeah, exactly right, and it starts to because we all have this idea of the syndrome that lives within us, right? Like why we're we not good enough. It's yeah. well documented, by the way. If you Google imposter yes. syndrome, like celebrities have it, movie yep. stars have it, entrepreneurs have it. We all have it. It's like 
not worthy of the thing that I that I'm trying yes. to attain. And along and along with that, like that limiting belief, the voice in our head, the voice the, in our head, the, the voice in our head, <laughs> the, right? You know, um, and so the villain then dominates that, you know, and so you have to see yourself in others, yeah. and when you start to see your, the reflection of yourself in someone that has something that you really want, really need, mm. that's when the sparks go off, and you're like, hang on a second, I like I could easily be a navy navy seal. There's no difference between me and the obviously it's not easy but certainly i can do that thing you know and so it starts to you know foster the idea of self-belief and all these kind of things you know um so i wanted to uh just uh wrap up and check this uh, line here make sure there's nothing else coming in otherwise i'm gonna wrap up here uh, i need a t-shirt that says five guys <laughs> cool so so yeah so thanks, guys, for all the calls. Um, so just to wrap up with you, John, why do you do what you do? What gets you to bed in the morning? I know. I guess, again, I always think in bifurcated ways. There's, there's two things. One is that um, I, ever since I was a kid, I have wanted to do something. I, I wanted to have an impact on the world in some, in some big way. Um, I was a big superhero fan when I was a kid. I wanted to be Batman. <laughs> and uh, somewhere along the line, I learned that that was probably not my path. But, uh, you know, Lee Child, who writes the Jack Reacher series, he says writing is show business for shy people. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have always had this desire to touch the lives of, of millions of people just to make their lives better. But the second answer is, is I just I love words. I've always loved books, words, sentences. The, the uh, the capacity to take a f- idea that you, that you can't quite figure out and put it in words so that it l- turns on lights in other people's brains. Mm. I just think words are, are so fascinating. So I, I have a love of of the of the the content of the material that I'm that I'm the clay I'm working with, the words. But I also really just love you know. Mm. I love that somebody who's seeing your podcast is going to pick up this book and they're going to read on page forty eight or whatever. They're going to go ah. My life just changed. That's cool. Exactly, exactly. So we have similar motivations, and I think that's uh, that's really a really amazing thing to end on. So, John, thank you so much for for your time today. It's been a privilege and honor having you on the show. Uh, thanks, Likewise. thanks uh, for the live audience. Uh, thanks for the guys all listening. Mine and uh, Adam for the dial-in. Uh, yeah, won't get to uh, too much more. Got to do a hard stop tonight, unfortunately. So, John, thank you. It's been a real privilege. Thank you, Matt. Cheers, guys. We'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook.
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com. 